0: Alright, let's be real. What has been the hardest thing about your pregnancy and postpartum journey? Is it the postpartum painful sex that nobody talks about? What are you supposed to do with that? Is it the fact that you might have torn during delivery and you have no idea how to heal now that you're in postpartum? Welcome to the Onus Podcast, where we bring on mothers, parents, and pregnant postpartum individuals to talk about their journey and their experiences, to give that knowledge back to people that need it. And we are also attached to the theonuscollaborative.com, which is a free online educational directory where we help moms and parents connect to maternity care providers in their local area. We are here to give the power back to you guys so you have a choice in your journey. We'll have space for midwives, doulas, public floor beauties, massage therapist. And as we continue expanding, we hope that we can support you. All right, we hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome back to the Onus Podcast. My name is Erin. I am the host and the founder of the Onus Collaborative. So welcome back. This week, we're actually having part two of Amelia's story. So last week, we had Amelia on and she was talking about her experiences with going through her miscarriages. She has gone through several miscarriages and was happy to come on and talk to us about her experience in her healing journey and where she is now. So this week we, we will still hear a bit more about her miscarriage experience, but also the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum experience with her daughter, Esme. So we're super excited and we hope you all enjoy this episode.
1: We were able to go back to the fertility clinic and they um, did another ultrasound to confirm the next day. And they were, they saw the same thing. They're like, yeah, there's a very clear cystic hygroma." We got some ultrasound pictures, which I'm thankful for. Um, and then they said, well, given the circumstances that you've, this is your fifth miscarriage, we really think that it would be helpful if we were able to do a DNC and collect the tissue and do, uh, do a kind of just like a chromosomal abnormality test and just run some labs on everything to see how things are, um, and I think, and we were, I felt very comfortable in that space. Like I, by this time I had been a doula long enough. I had been inside of hospitals. I had gone and gotten vaccinated and was just like slowly joining, you know, coming to grips with like, there's a really good space for the medical community and they, they play a very important role in the world. Right. And this is the, I knew this was the way I was going to get answers, right. um, and I just felt a very strong peace about it. My mom flew down and was there. We scheduled the DNC for, I think, like just a couple of days later. They didn't make us wait, which I was so thankful for. Um, and my mom came down. The DNC was extremely smooth. I got there at 7 a.m. They booked me in for the first appointment. So I didn't have to see all the women coming in for their egg retrievals and pregnant and all of those fun things. So I was able to come in quietly in the morning was the first person there. And they were like the most kind and patient staff at this fertility clinic. And I felt very safe doing it. Like they explained like how, well, a lot of DNCs, like they do scraping of the uterine lining and stuff. They do everything with suctions just to maintain your fertility as best as possible and reduce risks of a uterine rupture or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the night before my DNC, I was so worried and sick in my stomach. And I was like, maybe I'm making the bad decision. Like maybe I should just try and miscarry on my own. And I called the charge nurse that was on that night and talked to her. And she was so kind. She didn't pressure me. And she was just like, you're going to make the right decision. I'm going to send you all of the paperwork with the risks and benefits, and you can read them. And then if you, you know, want to cancel and you feel like this isn't right for you, if the risks are too high, we'll cancel. And she was like, but I feel fully confident that this is going to be a perfect procedure and you're not going to have any issues, but you know, you're, you're the only person who can make that decision. And so she sent me over the paperwork and we read over it and thought about it. And I just like, after I read the paperwork and talked to her, it just felt like complete peace about the decision that we had made to go ahead with the DNC. And so we went in the next morning and the DNC was perfect. Like it was like, it took probably an hour. My husband and my mom got to sit in the waiting room and it was hard because I was under anesthesia, but that miscarriage versus the six week miscarriage that I, the second miscarriage that I had that was like labor were night and day. Like it was a very peaceful experience for me. Like the next day we like went to the beach And just like sat at the beach and got coffee and did all of the normal things that we could do while also simultaneously grieving our loss. And um, several weeks later, we found out that our baby had Turner syndrome and um, was, which is a chromosomal abnormality and was incompatible with life. And that gave me like, I don't know, it was like, it gave me like a reason, which I, I know is like. It, it was huge for us, though. It was like we had had all of these tests and everything, and there was nothing. And then to have an answer of, like, oh, well, there was a reason for this loss. Yeah. And during that fertility clinic experience um, with those doctors, we learned a lot about fertility and different abnormalities. And like, miscarriage is like one in four women has a miscarriage, they say, or 25% of all pregnancies miscarry which is a high statistic. Um, Statistically, you know, someone or you have a close friend or a relative, or even your mother has had a miscarriage and a lot of people may not talk about it, but it's, it's extremely common. And the, the hard thing is like recurrent miscarriage where you have more than, you know, one or two or three or like us, by the time we had our daughter, we had had six, we had another miscarriage over the next new years, um, after our DNC. And we were just kind of like, okay, well, we're going to stop trying to have a baby until we can get into some in-depth, um, testing. And we were doing like natural family planning pretty much the whole time, like fertility awareness method to prevent Mm -hmm. pregnancy. Um, and, but then my circle cycle started to like, they, they kind of spaced out a little bit and got a little off and we had a chemical pregnancy, like I said, over new year's, that was the sixth. And we were just kind of like, Oh, well, you know, this is just never going to happen for us. Like maybe we need to consider the fact that, you know, we should just wait until we can afford to do IVF or something. Um, because our doctor had. The fertility doctor had explained like likely what's going on because like, I would get pregnant super easy. It was actually like really hard not to get pregnant. Like we would just try and get pregnant right away. Um, It's something called hyper fertility, which is where your body just gets pregnant super easily, but it'll get pregnant with any embryo. So even if there's an abnormality, you're where somebody else's body may reject that pregnancy or say like, oh, this baby's not compatible with life. So we're not even going to try. My body would just like latch onto it and then not want to give it up. Um, and so we, I'd started to, um, I read the book, it starts with the egg and tried all of those things for a while. And then I was like, I got discouraged because like, I don't really know if there's any benefit to this. I took zinc, um, during our 12 week pregnancy, I had been on baby aspirin and they had even had me on progesterone for that pregnancy. And that didn't make a difference because the baby is chromosomally abnormal. And I started like, I don't know, just, I just like started being okay with it. Just like, you know, if it's going to take us having IVF in a few years and we're just going to have to work towards that, that's completely fine. I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. And then we found out we were pregnant with our daughter And I just remember being like finding out and being like, oh shit, (laughs) (laughs) I have to like go through this again. Like I'm going to like, I, you just resign yourself to it after you've had a miscarriage. Like nothing is fun about pregnancy anymore. Like all of the joy of pregnancy and the excitement and those like planning for 18 years, you don't, you're just trying to get through the next day and nothing feels safe. And even when everything is checking out appointment after appointment, after appointment, you're just a skeptic forever. Like you just, you know, even though you feel relief in that moment that like, Oh, the baby's still here. You worry that tomorrow that's not going to be the case. Yeah. And so we just, I didn't even hope we didn't talk about baby names. We didn't do anything like that until we were, <laughs> until we found out that we were having a girl, but we, when I was nine weeks pregnant, I had a tiny bit of spotting and i was like i told my husband i was like i you know this is the beginning of the end this is what happened before like i don't know what to do you know let's just go to the er so we can just get a, a for sure answer today like i don't want to like wait and see um and we went to the hospital and we had an ultrasound and the the ultrasound technician had the biggest smile on her face because the baby was like bouncing everywhere. Like she was so tiny. She was like nine, you know, this nine week little pregnancy and she just like bouncing like a little bean. <laughs> and I think like in my gut and in my heart, I knew that this was our baby because yeah. of that ultrasound. Like the previous time we had had an ultrasound, the baby was very still. Yeah. And the, 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 the doctor didn't say anything. And I think it's normal for babies to be still at times, but this baby was like thriving and was like, <laughs> jumping for joy. And we like looked and you couldn't see like the beginnings of a cystic hygroma or anything, but we did every single test on the, under the planet. We like, um, had them run every genetic panel, every chromosomal panel, everything we could do, like as soon as possible, just because like, I think we needed that peace of mind that she was okay. Um, so we found out very early on, we were like 14 weeks pregnant. We found out we were having a girl, we got a PDF, (laughs) um, in my inbox on my, and we, I just like brought it in to Eli. And I was like, well, I had the results of what our baby is. Like, should we open it and find out? And he was like, yeah. So we like opened it. It was very like, it wasn't super, it was fairly anticlimactic, but we just opened it and it said female across the top. We're like, we're having a girl. And then <laughs> We, I, I was like driving to work that morning, one morning around that time, right around the same, right after we had had that nine week ultrasound where the baby was bouncing and we hadn't told anyone, we kind of kept it a secret. I think my husband potentially tell, I think he told his mom cause we, they were talking about us flying out and he was like, well, we're not going to do that cause we're super early pregnant and we don't want to risk anything at all right now. Um, and if Amelia's is miscarrying, like I need to be there for her so I can't come alone and that sort of thing. So I just like texted my mom a picture of our ultrasound. I didn't say anything. I was on the phone with her and I just texted it to her and she was like, is this you? She was like so over the moon excited. And mm-hmm. it was so fun. We told people kind of over the next little bit and then we waited until I was 15 weeks pregnant to tell anyone else. And after we had had like all of our chromosome and ch- genetic, um, Test back as nothing was nothing was wrong with her there was not that anything's would not that we would have necessarily done anything if something had been wrong but I think it just gave us that peace of mind that you know like she's okay there's nothing you know there's nothing imminent that's going to cause us to lose her and that I think that's when I started to like hope again and to feel like I could dream and plan for this baby that was going to come, you know, and start talking about names and not feel like, oh, I'm just going to pick a name and then we're going to lose the baby And this, you know, we, yeah, it's just, it, it just like sparked something. And then every ultrasound that we had after that, we had, we went and had many, many ultrasounds during our pregnancy. We like um had our, our 20 week ultrasound and the, every single technician that we had, we were in California at the time was just so wonderful. And we had, we were in a midwifery clinic that was midwifery and OB in California, Mm -hmm. um, in St. Luke's and, um, uh, San Francisco. And they were amazing. We loved them. And then we transferred our care at, I want to say we were like 27 weeks pregnant. We transferred to Missouri. We decided to move to Missouri before we had the baby rather than wait after so that we wouldn't have to move postpartum. Mm -hmm. And we found out that there was a midwifery clinic that was similar to what we were, the care we were experiencing in San Francisco here in Springfield, which was two hours from where we were living. But we were like, well, it's our first baby. We'll like, you know, there's not going to be any problems with us making it to the hospital in two hours. So we'll just go ahead and drive over to the hospital when we go into labor. And we established with them. They were wonderful. We loved it. And then I was, yeah. So I was like 27 weeks pregnant with, when we transferred. So I did all my glucose testing and stuff kind of in between the two. That was the weirdest part was like trying to navigate, like doing glucose testing at one hospital and having that transferred over because I did like a week of fasting glucose. Um, and so like I would prick my finger every morning, but thankfully the the new hospital was able to accept that. And I didn't have to go to glug the glucose syrup. <laughs> um, and then in December, the day before my due date, I I had been having Braxton Hicks for a while and I stopped having them randomly like two days before my due date. And I was like, man, this is just frustrating. Like I'm ready to have this baby already. I'm ready to be on the other side of this and have this baby in our arms and know that everything's okay and she's safe and she's here. And I had like had enough of an, ex- I had had an experience as a doula supporting a family who didn't, whose baby didn't make it through birth unexpectedly um, because of an accident. And I wasn't willing to risk that with my baby. It was just, it was a very devastating time for me to experience, you know, miscarriage and then being with other people who had lost full-term children as well. Like having this family had gone through miscarriage as well. And then to lose a full-term baby unexpectedly with no prior, you know, warning. And then seeing that devastation, I wasn't willing to risk anything with my baby. And so I knew like, I was like, I really want the care of midwives. I love midwives. I love, you know, I really wanted a nurse midwife, but I also wanted to be within minutes of having a C-section if something were to go wrong, um, just to have the best possible chances for her. And So I went into labor randomly at 10 p.m. at night. I like laid down in bed and the contractions were like seven minutes apart. And they came on so sudden and so strong. Like it wasn't like, am I in labor or am I not in labor? I was like, "Yep, this is it. (laughs) Which was kind of nice. I know that a lot of people that I've supported, they've been in early labor for like days. And oh my goodness. So she, she was born after 22 hours of labor. I got through it. It was, it was very, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was worth it. And it was the smoothest, like, I was very aware of like how she was sitting in my pelvis before I like learned all these things about baby mapping and belly mapping and everything. So, yeah. So we went into the hospital that night. We like waited until I had had contractions, like every five minutes for an hour and they were just getting steadier and stronger, and so I was like, "All right, let's go ahead and go to the hospital now. Let's not wait any longer." So we got there at I think like three in the morning, and we were there till six. And then they sent us. They were like, "Well, we're gonna send you home," and we were like, "Oh crap," because it's like a two-hour drive. We got to the hospital. We were in tri- triage for a while. And my contractions kind of spaced out as the sun came up, and so we actually went and rented an Airbnb like five minutes from the hospital and just went over there and labored in their shower and in their room and just kind of, just like hung out there for all day. And I tried to sleep on and off, but like every single contraction, I would like throw up. (laughs) It was like, I couldn't keep anything down. And they, they stayed spaced out until mid afternoon and then they got closer and closer together. And the, my husband called the midwife and he was like, I'm not sure if we should come in. And she's like, I can hear her in the background. You need to come right now. I hadn't come in. I want to at least check you. So we packed everything up and went back over to the hospital. I didn't pack anything. Actually, my husband did. I was completely spaced out. I was totally in active labor at this point and got to the hospital and they checked me and I was five centimeters. And I was like, I had gotten to the hospital of three and a half centimeters since so I had labored all day to five centimeters. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is going to be a long one. Totally like preparing myself for the long haul here. And I think it was like 5 p.m. or something, and my midwife they hooked me up to IV fluids because the baby's heart rate was sitting a little low. She was normally in like 140s to 160s, um, but she had been around 110, 120, yeah. and so they put me in on IV fluids because I was clearly dehydrated just because I had been throwing up so much, and they, (laughs) they hooked me up to the IV fluid. Her heart rate came up and then the midwife was like, okay, now that her heart rate's been up for a little while, I want to talk about like, should we break your water? Should, do you want to go home again? Like, what do you want to do? Like we can, we can wait it out. And I was like, I just had this like really good feeling about her breaking my water at that point. I was like, I feel like, I feel like that'll help her like drop down kind of deep into my pelvis. And I'm like, I'm ready to kind of have this over with. And so like, being a doula, it was kind of, I think they really enjoyed it because I knew all the risks and benefits of of everything. And before I was like, I don't want to do Pitocin or anything to try and make the contractions stronger. Um, if at all possible, like I would rather you do, you know, like try and augment labor with like, um, breaking my water. So they did that. And then it was like, who intense, like (laughs) all of a sudden. And so they pushed me back to the, they put me in like a wheelchair and pushed me back to the, like, um low intervention birthing suite and they had like this birth pool set up and a queen bed and they she had me do she was like there is a small lip on one side so I want you to do like this lunge over the couch and then once you do that lunge for three contractions then you can get in the birth pool because she wanted <laughs> me to be at six centimeters so it didn't stall again. Yeah. And I was so mad at her. I was so mad. I was like I hated that lunge. It was the worst possible feeling and now it was it was transition because looking back at the timing, because I finished that lunge and I was so mad and I could barely stand it. It was so painful and intense. It was just like all of this. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. Like, if this is only five centimeters, what in the world did I get myself into? And I got in the birth pool and immediately knew I had to push. Like, it was like, I swear I was in there for like 15 minutes. I was so mad. I was like, I'm pushing. And I was like, this is like, I I don't feel like I should be pushing yet. It's not time. Like I'm only five centimeters. Like in my mind, that was where I was going. You know, it'd only been 30 minutes since she broke my water. (laughs) And she was like, no, you're pushing. I need to check you. You need to get out right now. You know, cause in the hospitals, they, they, you labor in the tub, but then you, you birth on land, which was our preference as well. We didn't really want to do a water birth. And so I was like, uh, she checked me again. She's like, yeah, you're like 10 centimeters, fully effaced. face. Like there's nothing there. It's just baby head and she's super low. And she's like, she said she's plus two. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I did it. Like I was like, I can get through this. And I pushed for like maybe 20 minutes, which is, I don't know. I was very happy about the <laughs> it was like prolonged pushing. And then she was born and she was like eight pounds, 11 ounces. So she was a chunk mm-hmm. and she was very vocal and loud and mad at the world. And just like, what the heck is this? It's so cold. And she just cried and cried. And I just remember like holding her and just being like, I, I i remember telling her i was like holding her i was like i just waited so long for you and you were worth every second and mm-hmm. all of those emotions and everything it just like in that moment everything kind of faded away yeah into the background and it was it wasn't okay like i still am sad about the miscarriages that i've had but in in a way it is okay it was healing and to have like the, the continuity of care with our midwives in both California and then into Missouri and then the continuity of care afterwards, I got to see my midwife at two weeks and then at six weeks and seven weeks, they just kept, kept me going and got us in with a pediatrician who was really awesome and has done like did continued mental health checkups and
0: okay.
1: we're just like very present. And I don't know, it was just like the best of all the worlds. And it was such a healing experience and just like, you know, just a feeling of relief and an overwhelming sense of wow, we did it. And you know, I don't I hope that, you know, hearing our story and um telling it. It's very cathartic to tell it for me now like on the other side. And I hope it brings hope to people who hope to have children and are struggling in some way, even, you know, infertility or miscarriage or going through IVF that I feel your pain and I hope that, I hope that, you know, that your, your worth is not defined by your parenthood. Mm. You're worth it regardless. And, you know, people may say things that are insensitive. I mean, I've had people say all sorts of things. They're just like, oh, just keep trying. Or they say, you're going to, you're going to get your baby. And I remember always being like, you can't guarantee that. You can't guarantee me that I, you know, that I'm going to have a baby. Some people never do yeah. and you can't make false, false promises, but the people who just came alongside me and just like held space and said, you know, I'm sorry for your experience. I'm sorry for what you've walked through. I feel your pain. Maybe they had, or had not had a miscarriage, but they were just like present and they didn't try and like answer all of the questions. They just were there. Mm-hmm. And those were the people who made a difference and it's really like changed. I think before I had gone through miscarriages or before I had our baby, like I totally would have been one of those people who was like, you know, judged people for having a miscarriage and been like, Oh, they must've done something wrong. Or maybe they need to just stop trying. Maybe they need to stop trying so hard, you know, like just the things that, I don't know, our society says to women who are miscarrying. Um, But yeah, I mean, a lot of the healing has also come through therapy. And it's like I I started going to therapy in 2017, I think, and continued through 2018 and 2019 and 2020 and 2021. And I'm still in therapy today. And I don't I it helped me through all of you know the deconstruction of like religion and going back to, you know, your wealth is your worth is not defined by you know, these experiences that you've had. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know like what else to say from there, but Mm -hmm. I just hope that people who listen to this feel hope and don't feel despair at, you know, the recurrent miscarriage loss. Like it's, it's a really hard place to be and I've been there.
0: Yeah. Well, no, thank you for sharing all of that. I imagine that could not have been easy. One, sharing it and two, living it. Um, Yeah. I like sit here and I I like writing notes. So I've been writing down everything you've been saying and I am so sorry. I just, the pain that you've had to go through for this, I just can't imagine. And the (sighs) fact that you're willing to come on and share your story and like you had six losses. Yeah. That is a lot of losses and
1: yeah,
0: that's a lot of pain. Do you feel like you didn't fully heal until you started therapy?
1: Oh, fully. Yeah. Oh, fully. And even it wasn't even just starting therapy. Like it was with my second therapist. So I, I went and saw a, a, my first therapist and I was still, it, it's so complicated be, and complex because of like the religious cult background and the messaging around that. And like um, the messaging around like your worth being like a mother and not you know like women didn't weren't expected to work and women just you know they were expected to have a family and raise children and that was where you know their worth li- was like you know laid and so i when i first started going to therapy i ri- i originally started going and seeing a christian therapist and that was good but um, she was a therapist. She was a good therapist in a lot of ways, but I kind of outgrew that relationship very quickly. Like I realized like it was kind of a different direction than I was going with my life. Um, and I took a little break from therapy after that. Cause I was kind of confused. I was like, well, what should I do? And I ended up going on Yelp and I found a therapist who had like 800 reviews that were five-star reviews. And she was a professor at Stanford as well, or did some, you know, she did like lectures Um, at Stanford University and had just like a really amazing reputation as a therapist. And one of the things I read on her website was that she doesn't want people to be in therapy chronically. She wants to help you create solutions for your life that helps you heal and as quickly as possible so that you can, you know, move on to have a successful life and to get past like the traumas and things that you've experienced. And it was in work with her. I was like within three sessions with her, I had had some major breakthroughs about my own life and religion and like what I really believed and being able to like pull that apart kind of at the seams and then put it back together. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of just like going along and piece by piece pulling it out. And she had, you know, she had um, experienced miscarriage as well. And kind of we, she shared and we, you know, kind of talked through it and she was able to go on to have a son. Um, and a wonderful, wonderful therapist. And it was in therapy with her that I was able to heal a ton and just come to, you know, just a place of healing to where I felt calm and, you know, going through a miscarriage. Like when I had the miscarriage at 12 weeks, I was simultaneously supporting people in labor and I was having a miscarriage while I was supporting labor and, still recovering from that, you know, and just like talking to the couple, you know, they, we, I was always very close with my clients and just like very, it was a very open, trusting relationship and maybe a little bit more personal than some doulas go with their clients. Um, But I, with the particular client that I was with at that time, I felt comfortable telling them like, Hey, I was pregnant and I'm miscarrying now. And I'm none less excited for you but i just want you to know you know what's going on in my own life just in case i need to call in a backup or something and they um i was able to support them fully and after my dnc they sent us a full meal Mm. just like sent it to us and kind of helped carry us through that and i had had also had another past client who became a very good friend that i'm still friends with to this day that also sent us meals And just kind of like carried us through that loss. And I think that's when I found my community and I realized like this is like doula is full circle. Like there's doulas for birth. There's doulas for fertility. There's doulas for miscarriage. There's doulas for death. There's doulas for everything in between. And doula, you know, it's just like a surrounding of people and just kind of carrying you through whichever place you're at. And if you're in grief, they carry you through that. And with your doula clients, it's kind of, it's a two-way street in many ways, a lot of times. And, you know, the people that I, you know, had shared like, hey, I'm pregnant. And I had to go back and tell them like, I'm not pregnant anymore. With that miscarriage, like everyone was, it was, it was amazing because it was like, This whole village carrying me on and not I didn't feel and and maybe in some ways it was the understanding of the chromosomal abnormality that was there was a cause for the loss but also like having come through healing and just like knowing that um, even if I didn't go on to have a rainbow baby and even if this seemed like the sun was never going to shine again That's not where my value was. And I was still a good mom to the babies that I had lost. And I had everything in me to be a good mom someday if that worked out. And in my own way, I could continue on supporting birthing people in their own ways, even if it was through loss themselves. And yeah, it was just like a whole nother experience, a whole nother level of you know, understanding kind of who I was. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend, you know, if someone's grieving a loss of a miscarriage or a pregnancy or, you know, anyone at any time, like therapies for everyone, um, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Just like healing from any trauma. Um, and even like, even everyday life can be traumatic. Even like going through COVID was traumatic and really heavy and Um, kind of just like the isolation and everything. And I can't imagine what it's like for, I mean, we were raising a, a little tiny person during COVID and very isolated, but we still had community around us. Um, and I, I feel extra devastated and have like a big, like heavy piece in my heart for mothers who are experiencing or parents who are experiencing miscarriage, um, through covid as well when they can't have that community come around them and hold them and kind of carry them through that which is what I was I think that's what I was missing in the initial you know the first miscarriages that we had it's just that community yeah. um in that space just being like it's okay you're you're still a good mom you're still a good person you're still a good human you didn't do anything wrong you're not being punished yeah mm.
0: No, I think all of that is beautiful and it's very important to have that discussion as well. I'm glad that you have found so much healing in therapy and it's something that you've continued with and that you've found this therapist that I think a lot of times, or at least in my own personal experience, the ones with the really high qualification and like the really big, you know, I work at Harvard, I work at Stanford, we're very clinical, but I think it's beautiful that she was able to hold that space for you whilst also being, you know, like this massive therapist that has all of these amazing reviews online totally
1: yeah and it was such a cool experience because it was like the weirdest it's like every therapist like classic therapist you know experience she's like did therapy out of her living room in her house (laughs) and she like had it was like completely set up just for therapy she had this big massive couch and then her chair was like up on this platform in front of you and you could just like chill out and it was the most relaxed i've ever felt in therapy i mean now i'm doing therapy virtually (laughs) which is i love the therapist that i have now and like would not trade her but man, that that like intense and oh and the other thing about her therapy sessions was they were like a full hour and a half and sometimes two hours So she didn't skimp like she was, she was like all in and she was fully present with you for that time. It was, yeah, definitely a really cool experience. If you don't, if you get into therapy and you have a therapist who's not right for you, I think the like struggle is knowing like, do I switch therapists and kind of go through all of my backstory again? Yeah. or do I continue on? And my recommendation is like, if the therapist is not right for you, stop now, don't waste any more time. Um, because like, that could be the time that you're with the right person for you who can really help you heal.
0: Exactly. I 100% agree with you. I, um, did therapy for PTSD. Luckily yeah. my therapist, the first therapist I went to in Cincinnati, we just like off the bat, she was, we are perfect for each other. And the other thing I really appreciated Was that the first few appointments we really took, she really took out the time to make sure that we were right for each other. Cause she was like, I want you to be able to open up to me and feel comfortable with that. If I'm not the right person, then that's okay. But I want to make sure before you open this, before you open your trauma to me, I want you to know that you're like, you feel comfortable with me and that we're the right click. And I I love that. that So, so much because then I moved to Australia hoping to finish. I did EMDR. I don't know if you've heard of it.
1: Yeah, I have.
0: And so then I moved to Australia and I found a therapist here who like within the first 10 minutes of meeting her for the first time, she just immediately dove straight into EMDR and it just left so many open wounds. So
1: yeah, totally yeah, do
0: not be, do not, If the, like you said, if the therapist isn't right for you, that is okay. There is a therapist for everyone, but you can find one that's right for you because you are going into something deep. Usually you're talking about something that's very personal and how yeah. the right therapist is huge.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you're delving into that and you're, you don't feel safe in that space uh, yeah. and it's just opening wound after wound, but it's not helping you close the wounds at the same time. It's not putting stitches in old wounds Yeah, and it's just like leaving them gaping and open and raw. You're just, you're just left like a confused, jumbled mess of yourself and it's just, it's just hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel there. And it take, it can take you to a really dark place mentally. I was recently on social media and heard a guy talking about how in our society, like sometimes like we just continue on doing something because we've already spent, you know, we've already invested so much time into it. And so we feel like, Oh, well, because of the time we've invested it's something valuable, And it may be the complete wrong thing for us. And so if we stop today, then we're not wasting any more time. We can move on to better pursuits. And I think that's that. that's exactly what we're saying about therapy is like, yeah, just like, don't just find the person that's right for you and that feels safe. And that actually helps you heal your traumas. And if there, if it's a, you know, a method that's not quite right for you, it's completely okay to say like, Hey, this isn't the right method for me. And a, a therapist is meant to be very, you know, come at things from a clinical standpoint and not take it personally, if it's not the right fit. Yeah. Um, and if they do, I think that kind of just like shows on their character and not on you at all.
0: Absolutely. I, I agree yeah. with you. It's amazing where, when therapists can hold that space and say, I want to make sure that we're going to be a good click. Cause that's totally the thing. Once you start therapy, I actually got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to therapy today. I'm really excited.
1: Totally. <laughs> yes.
0: therapy should feel. It should not be a dreadful experience because you're nervous about opening up to your therapist or just they don't give you the right energy that you need.
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah it is super funny because the therapist that I'm with now she had a very similar experience of growing up in a fundamentalist cult <laughs> and we didn't discover it until we had been in therapy for a little while. Like as I started to open up to her, I was like, I don't know why I just feel like I can, you know, jump into this and tell you this today. And she was like, no way me too. And it was like, you know, the things that we've experienced, she's like just further along in her journey now. And so I just, you know, at this point it's, it's nice because Like I could be open and she can share from her own personal anecdotes as well, which at the stage in therapy, it's really nice to have that person that camaraderie and that community there as well. So therapy can look like many different things, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But no, thank you so much for sharing your story. Truly. I think. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: No, of course. I think honestly we connected on Instagram and clicked right away, but hearing your story, you've been through a lot and you've, I don't know how you've done it, but it's truly like, thank you for sharing this story. And I'm sorry that you've had to go through all of this. And it sounds like you're on the other side of it. And now you can give back that space to other people going through it.
1: Yeah. That's my hope is that if anyone is ever, you know, in the middle of the thick of it and just needs someone to talk to like anyone can always reach out to me and talk about it. And my like, how can I hold space for you now? You know, like I, and it's not that the old wounds and the old sadness doesn't come up. Like, I think as I go through each stage of Esme's development and growth, like she's just started talking in these like crazy babble sentences (laughs) at 15 months old. And tonight I was putting her to bed and I was rocking her to sleep. And I was like, are you ready to go now? And she looks up at me and she says, no, (laughs) just like so clearly just like nope like I'm not ready to go to sleep and it's just like every stage even though it's so sweet and so fun I think it is bittersweet still Mm -hmm. having gone through loss of like oh what would it have been like with the other babies as well you know and like who would have they have been who would they have been like those what could have been moments you know like where I think about it and I think you know Esme was perfect for us and the universe knew that we needed her mm-hmm. and she's been brought so much healing and light to our lives like we just like we she's a unicorn <laughs> I don't know she's like <laughs> a unicorn child she's just like so so happy and it just brings us so much joy and I, the healing along the way of healing my old wounds has made me a better parent it's allowed me the opportunity to learn about childhood development. I think if I had been a parent, the very first time I got pregnant, I might've messed up a lot more along the way Mm -hmm. and been harsher. And this is just like mellowed me out and made me a gentle parent and just helped me realize like, it's okay to do things different than the way our parents did things. And it can be healthy to like break some of those generational things that, you know, families, parents learn one right after the other right and they learn from their parents and some of those things it's good and it's healthy to break and tear down and build back up again and to be able to do that with Esme now is just a complete joy every every minute of every day like we wake up and we put her to bed at night and we're like man we miss her like <laughs> we miss her like joy <laughs> around the house
0: <laughs> wake, wake up you, let's hang out <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> Love <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> no, oh, and if anyone does want to reach out to you to talk, where's the best place to reach you?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Amelia Protova or at Protova creative, which is my business account or on my website at ameliaprotova.com. So I'm available. Any of theirs, you can reach out to me via email, my emails on my contact page on my website. So yeah.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. And thanks for also staying up and having this discussion. It's huge.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. This was wonderful. I'm really glad that we did this.
0: We want to thank Amelia so much again for coming on and talking to us about her losses and, you know, her gains after going through all those losses and how it's impacted her and her healing journey, you know, going through therapy and then finding her community, finding out what she's meant to do and having that relationship with her clients who supported her in that process as well. And we just super appreciate her taking out the time. And if you're interested in reaching out to Amelia, definitely reach out to her. She's so lovely. You can find her on Instagram. And if you are interested in coming on the Onus podcast as well, you can email us at hello at theonuscollaborative.com. It's completely free. And if you're a provider wanting to come on the podcast, all you have to do is sign up on our directory for free and then shoot us over an email and we'd love to help you get started. All right. Well, we hope you all have a really great rest of your week and we'll see you next week.